really tend to think about Christmas, but really and truly there is no Christmas without Easter. And um, you really can't speak of Christmas without speaking of Easter. Uh, So anyway, this morning we're going to look at uh, the first chapter of Luke, and we are going to be in... Am I good? Am I good? Can you hear me? Have you had it turned on? Okay, got it. That does help. <laughs> okay, I won't hit the switch. Yeah, I generally turn mine on when I need things like that. But anyway, uh, we're going to look at Luke. And uh, actually, the story was just told, but we're going to look at it in the big people's Bible and uh, see what we can look at this morning as we talk about Mary. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is the word of the Lord. Father, as we come this morning, we ask that you would open our eyes to such a familiar story. Um, Many of us have heard it for many, many years, and it doesn't hold any surprises. uh, Yet there is such depth. I pray, Lord, that you would use me uh, to just speak this morning. Uh, Lord, I I thank you for this opportunity and privilege. So now be with us, go before us as we look into your word and we pray this in your son's name. Amen. What's really significant about the Christmas story, which actually is a very small portion of the Gospels, But what I think is really significant about it is you have to understand, we've mentioned this several times before, there's 400 years of silence. God had closed the scriptures of the Old Testament. After Malachi, he didn't speak anymore for 400 years. I think we can conclude that there's a pattern there. 400 years, nothing, nada. And then all of a sudden, when the fullness of time has come, God begins to break out 
And he begins to do things and he begins to, to, to make things move as it comes to fruition, as his time, his chosen time for bringing the Messiah to the world is here. All of a sudden, there's really and truly an awful lot of weirdness happening. You know, you don't hear anything and then you hear a lot. So we have 400 years of silence. We have a group of people, this nation, that's in the midst of an occupying army and they are longing to be released from that. And so that has somewhat shifted their view of the Messiah from being a suffering servant to being a military conqueror that would break the chains of Rome. And so you have all kinds of shades in that when you see Jesus moving through his life of how they are missing the Messiah. You have a flurry of supernatural happenings. You have Mary receiving her word from Gabriel. You have Joseph who has a dream and is spoken to. Uh, You have Elizabeth and Zechariah who could not have children and then they are able to conceive because of a supernatural work. You have the shepherds that night that heard the angel choir saying after the angel messenger told them to look for the baby that was born in, in Bethlehem. You have the Magi sometime later coming to give gifts and they are guided supernaturally by a star. So there's a lot of weirdness going on. But one thing that is not there, there is no drummer boy. And I am so happy for that. Because Mary and Joseph, Mary and Joseph being good parents, toss it. You don't mess with the baby, right? Mickey does not want a drummer in her bedroom. So anyway, what we see is a milieu of things happening and there were shadows and hints of this thing that was coming. But again, it's so significant that we need to say it one more time. 400 years of silence. Nothing. No miracles, no scripture, nothing. So what do we want to look at this morning? I want you to see in the good old preacher uh, method, three things, okay? And I'm going to make it easy to understand or easy to remember. We're going to look at what she wasn't and what she isn't. We're going to look at what she was and what she is. And then we're going to look at what that means for us. Now, the first thing that I want us to look at is the fact of, or, or the idea of why was Mary chosen? Now, there were only three qualifications that Mary had. The first qualification was she was a descendant of David of the tribe of Judah. So there are a lot of women of that line. The second is she's a woman. The third is she's a virgin. That's it. 
that's a pretty big pool of people to choose from. So there really wasn't anything more about Mary that would cause her to, for, uh, to cause God to choose her. And so her, the choice of Mary is simply by his divine sovereignty. He chose Mary, just as for those of us who have been called to come to Christ, he chooses us out of his sovereignty and he regenerates us so that we can believe. He chooses Mary. Again, no other qualifications except she fit the bill like many other women then. And so this is pretty astounding to me and pretty disturbing to, to Mary because when, uh, when Gabriel speaks to her and tells her that she's going to become pregnant uh, and it's not going to be with Joseph um, and that she is uh, favored by God or, or blessed by God, it's kind of troubling. It's, it's agitating in her mind. The other thing we see that what she isn't is first off, she is not sinless. There is a branch of the universal church that teaches that Mary was sinless, that she was immaculately conceived, that she was a perpetual virgin, and that she was assumed or the assumption of Mary into heaven after she died. Supernatural things. And, and part of that, I think, as those doctrines, which were not in scripture, but put together over a couple of centuries, was probably for the standpoint of trying to figure out how could just a plain, ordinary person give birth to the Son of God? I mean, she's got to be some kind of special. She, she can't pass on original sin, but that was taken care of with Joseph not being her father, or, I mean, Jesus' father. She can't pass on original sin. And all these other things, I believe it's set in the fact that we try to explain stuff. We, things that we can't grasp and we can't understand. What? How could she do this since this is the son of God? In fact, this is the God man, God with us. How could someone who was just normal and ordinary bear the actual son of God? And so develop the idea that she was sinless, that she was immaculately conceived, that she remained a perpetual virgin, and that she was taken into heaven after she was buried directly into heaven. And she also stands as co-redemptrix because you pray to Mary to get to, God, to Jesus, and Mary is a vehicle of salvation. There's a lot of stuff. What she wasn't, that's it. She wasn't any of that. I love it because she's just like one of us. She's just like one of us. And so I'm not going to go into the great details of what she wasn't and break it down and do a lot of theological stuff with that. I want to get into what she was and what she is. First off, <clears throat> I think Mary, we don't want to go to the exact opposite extreme of the Reformation as it did sometimes and just really poo-poo and downplay Mary. We need to honor her. She is honored. 
but she is not venerated or worshiped. She is not our mediator to Jesus and to God. We have a direct mediator through Christ Jesus. So what she is, is a young lady, probably 13, 14, who has visited God for whatever reason, chose her, and she is given the privilege of bringing God-man into the world. She recognized, we'll see later on, that she was a savior. First verse of the Magnificat. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. She recognized that he was going to be her savior. Now, let me say this. I'm not gonna look at all the stuff about Mary through the scriptures, but we do know that Mary didn't completely know. So Stephen, I, I begged Stephen to, to sing Mary, Did You Know? But we agreed, no, she probably didn't. <laughs> you know, so she comes and uh, Brett preached last Sunday, right? She pondered these things in her heart. Can you imagine? I have been visited by an angel. I'm now pregnant. Now, these people weren't ignorant. They knew that it didn't happen apart from a man and a woman together. So she's pregnant. She is kind of putting this all together. And even later on, we can see that there was some misunderstanding because there's a point at which Jesus is being confronted by the religious leaders of the time. And Mary says, wait, wait, wait. He's beside himself, which is actually saying he's nuts. He's not of his right mind. So, you know, and Jesus was making all these claims and she's saying, well, wait a minute. So Mary, bless her heart, she's caught up in all this. Then, as she would want to tell somebody, she visits her cousin Elizabeth. She says, hi, Elizabeth. All of a sudden, Elizabeth says, whoa, John leaps in Elizabeth's womb. That's not normal. That's kind of weird too. So what do you do with all this? Then you have Joseph, and I'm not gonna speak a lot about Joseph, but she was betrothed to Joseph, which was more than engaged, not quite married. And Joseph reacted to this news because this poor man's in the midst of all this too, of saying, I'm going to put her away. I'm going to divorce her silently. I won't bring shame upon her. The angel visits him and goes, no, no, stay with her. You know, another thing that happened with Mary, now some of this is sanctified speculation because we don't have a lot of scripture to dig into about Mary herself, but you also know she was from a small town. I lived in a small town when my dad was stationed in Laos and Thailand. Lived with my grandparents, a very small town. I mean, a really small town. And I can tell you some things about a small town. There aren't any secrets. You might think there are secrets, but there aren't any secrets. And along with not being any secrets, there's a lot of gossip. So can you imagine? I mean, we don't think in these terms, but 
Can you imagine, you know, Mary saying to him, because ladies, you who have children, you talk about your kids, don't you? Sometimes you talk about the birth process, perhaps thankfully not to us dads, but to the other women around you. And yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. You know, Joseph's not the daddy. (laughs) How weird is that? To all the people around. Not only Mary dealing with this, but everybody else around. Joseph's not the biological father. And you can imagine the responses. That's the story you're going to stick with? That's what you're going to say? And so here you have controversy. You have mystery. You have weirdness. You have all of this stuff going on. Also, as they come to the point of her giving birth, one, you've got shepherds who, after she gives birth, who invites shepherds to come to the, to the you know? If you're in the hospital room or your living room, or as my cousin was born on the glider bench on my grandma's front porch, you don't ask a lot of people to come. So here come shepherds. Now, they're probably going to go into town and go, hey, have you heard anything? Do you know about this? And one thing that they will probably hear is, yeah, there was a woman screaming down there. I think something was going on. She was giving birth. People, Jesus pooped. He drank from her breast. And when she gave birth, she was in pain. Those are guaranteed things. Okay? So they probably found her from that. You go in. It was loud. It was messy because of all the animals and stuff around. Plus what happens with birth, it's kind of gross. And she could have been in a stable, but there is some understanding that she was in a relative's home, but not in a room that was prepared for guests, but in the, the place where the animals stayed. She did wrap him in cloths and put him in a manger. So there was probably a family member or a midwife there. I'm not quite convinced that Joseph was the one that uh, helped her deliver. That really was kind of outside his purview as a carpenter. But anyway, we see that Mary has a lot going on around her. There's nothing really normal about any of this. You know, there really isn't. Another good thing, and I'm going to bring Joseph into this. He stuck with her. He stuck with her. He endured the gossip. He endured the wink, wink. Yeah, okay, uh-huh, sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was it the milkman? You know? He stuck with her. But what do we hear Mary say? After she gets her answer, how will this be since I'm a virgin? Again, these folks weren't ignorant. They knew it took two to tango. He answers, the Holy Spirit's going to come over you. There is the miracle there. And then he tells about Elizabeth. And then what is really, really beautiful is Mary said, behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Again, now I've combined before, during, and after, but you take before and you take, particularly before, 
I am the servant of the Lord. So what do we know about Mary from that? We know that she was obedient. We know that she was um, willing to be used by God. And I don't think it was the standpoint of her saying, hey, there is a really huge thing happening right now and I'm in the midst of it and this is happening for me too. She just, I'm, I'm your servant. I'm God's servant. I'll do whatever God calls me to do. So she's obedient, she's willing, and she is also contemplating, as we saw last week. She pondered these things in her heart as the, as the shepherds came um, you know, after Christ was born. So what she wasn't and what she isn't is superhuman. She's not like Supergirl or Batgirl, you know, or Catwoman or whatever. She's not superhuman. Mary was a 13, 14-year-old, we call it in our way we measure things, teenager, but at that time, a woman. Boys were men at 13 with their bar mitzvahs. Women were also considered women at 13, 14. So she's, she's a woman. And she was not any of these high exalted things that have come about over the centuries of trying to understand how a common, ordinary young lady could give birth to God, man, Emmanuel, God with us. So she wasn't any of that stuff. She was ordinary. And when I say common, I don't mean that in the sense of like street gutter common, but she was just everybody else. But God, for some reason, took this young lady from the tribe of Judah, whose David was her uh, distant relative, and she fulfilled the prophecy from Isaiah that a, a virgin would be with child, and he chose her, and with that he blessed us. And so in a sense, you have, this is Mary. So, what she wasn't, what she was, what she is. <clears throat> and what does that mean for us? And I think there's some lessons here. This is a um, narrative, so it's not deep theology. You can see some theology in there, but this is a narrative. So what does it mean for us? It means there's no little people. There are no little people. Francis Schaeffer has a, a, a booklet of no little people. There are no little people. Also, we have to understand there are no rock stars in the Christian church. So you and me, God can use us just like he did Mary. He can use us just like he did Paul. He can use us just like he did David or Gideon or any of the, the heroes of the, the Bible. There are no rock stars. If you read Paul's account of the body of Christ, the big toe is as essential as the eye, as the mouth, as the arm, as the thumb. And I'll tell you what, some people in, in the church, not this church particularly, really make use of being the armpit. But all parts of the body, no little people, 
God uses the ordinary. He uses us. He uses our young people. He uses folks to sing. He uses folks to to preach. He uses folks to have hospitality. He uses folks to work behind the scenes. He uses us. All parts of the body are important. God uses the ordinary. We as a culture and as a church are enamored with the rock stars. Back in the 70s, um, kind of started out in the 70s with um, trying to gather important people who have come to Christ and put them on stage. And so you have football players, you have rock stars, Alice Cooper, um, Farner from, um, from uh, Grand Funk Railroad, other people, uh, Tim Tebow's and this, that, and the other. The church elevates these folks to rock star status and tries to bring them to the forefront. Why? Because they're important and normal people will listen to important people more than they will to ordinary people. No, I can tell you for a fact. There is a pastor who, um, who actually opened his house to a person who was a feminist. She taught at one of the New York colleges and was a lesbian. And a church that does nothing but sing psalms, no instruments, so that's kind of boring, right? Using what we would consider the least of a church And this pastor and his wife opened the doors and had her in, offered hospitality, spoke with her. She converted. Her name's Rosaria Butterfield. And God is using her mightily to minister to broken people. But it's not what we, you know, it had been a campaign, a crusade, and, uh, you know, a choir singing just as I am, 39 verses, just to make sure people come down and all this stuff. No, an ordinary pastor of a church that only sings psalms, doesn't even have a piano, which today would be considered extremely weird. God uses ordinary people. Folks, God uses you. And I can tell you for a fact, and this is just personal preference, I would prefer hearing testimony from the pastor of a small church that's labored there for many, many years, unheard of, unsung, and was faithful. And I'd rather hear that testimony of the big star. I'd rather hear the testimony of the mom or the dad who's faithfully going to work every day, who faithfully changes diapers, who faithfully feeds their children, who faithfully just lives an ordinary life. I would rather personally, again, this is my personal thing. I'm not saying it's the right way or the only way, but it's the way that speaks to me most. Ordinary people saying, here's what God's done in my life. Here's the struggle that I've lived. And here's the blessing that I've received. That speaks so, so loudly when you hear that kind of a testimony. And then last, what does it mean for us today? It means that God chose Mary to be the vehicle, the vessel, to bring Christ, the Savior, into the world. And we're not going to talk about the homostatic union. We're going to talk about Jesus 
as the one that God, his only son, he is going to offer. So he offers us salvation. He offers us that work that he did on the cross. We see the baby Jesus, but we also, we have to turn our eyes to Easter. We have to turn our eyes to to the cross because that's what this is all about. And he offers salvation to each and every one of us. He offers the cross. He offers the opportunity to be washed clean of our sins. He offers complete forgiveness and restoration. You know, another thing about Mary, as we kind of wrap this up, what's so poignant about Mary and Ladies, I'm up here with intrepidation because I'm talking about things like birth and all that, and I haven't got a clue Um, because Becky and I adopted, so I have no idea what I'm talking about. So I, I say this with some trepidation. I think about you as you hold your babies in your arms and others that may not have children, but hold their grandchildren or their adopted children into their, in their arms. Mary saw, saw Jesus come into the world. And she was there at the cross and watched him die. It's got to break your heart, but it's because the world needed a Savior. And Mary was gracious enough to be the one that raised that man and stood by him even with questions and doubts but I can tell you for sure that after the resurrection she got it she knew folks if the Christmas story is is familiar or too familiar I pray that Jesus is even more familiar and if you've never invited Christ or prayed to Christ to be your savior, today would be a day to do that. This is a story of a young lady, a young woman, who God used to provide for the sins of the world, yours and mine. And if you've never appropriated that, and if you are convicted of it this morning, talk to me, talk to one of the elders. Today is the accepted day of salvation. Let's pray. Father, we ask, I ask that you would allow me to be as faithful as Mary. We know that she stumbled and sinned and we know that she grumped and chided Jesus when he took off for the temple and she was not happy with him. She wasn't a perfect mother. We are not perfect people. We need a savior. We thank you that you have provided one for us. Not one, you have provided him for us. He came into the darkness and the darkness did not know him. And Lord, for those of us who know you, as, who know Christ as Savior, you have regenerated our hearts so that we could even believe as we were dead in our sins that you made us alive in Christ. And so, Holy Spirit, be here with us today. As we think about these words, as we go to this table, as you speak to us through the written word, the spoken word, and the word of these elements. Lord, 
We ask that you would use them as we set them aside for a holy purpose. Be with us, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Brett, I don't know how to do this. Do you want me to just throw it on the floor? Or? <laughs>